And while they're doing that, I want to remind you all, we started a, a new series last week called Tulip. This is the doctrines of grace. Um, as, we, as I mentioned last week, and I want to kind of reiterate and also clarify a few things, is the doctrines of grace, we believe this has to do with Reformed theology, uh, which the pastors of this church hold to these doctrines. Um, but not everybody here in the church does, and you don't have to to be a member here. So we want to make that clear, that these are uh, secondary issues. Now, uh, for some clarification, Last week, the total depravity of man, meaning that man is, is sinful by his nature. He's a, we are children of wrath by nature. Um, this really isn't one of those like secondary. Everybody, because everybody probably left, and we didn't get many questions this past week, because we are sinful. And if we're honest with ourselves, we left from that message, probably sinned on our way out. Like we just we got angry on the way. I told Aubrey yesterday, I'm like, I would like wonder like when we look back at, 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 at things that we do, I told somebody, it may not have been Aubrey, Aubrey's like, I don't remember this conversation. It's just when we look back in the past day and the past week is we can acknowledge sinful things that we've done even after hearing about sin. That's why we spent a week really addressing our sinful nature and really built it up to the point where we saw the holiness of God, right? Like we need to understand the depths of our depravity, our sinful ways, that, that when we sing songs that say, he saved a wretch like me, we understand what that means, that we are incapable of saving ourselves because of our depravity. So a lot of you all probably, again, didn't have the problem with that. And we're skipping from the T, total depravity of man, to the perseverance of the saints for this Sunday. And a lot of you all may feel the same way. So the perseverance of the saints is something Baptists called eternal security for so long, right? And it goes a little bit deeper within Reformed theology, our way of thinking, that if, if God is the one who is in charge and in control of our salvation from before the foundation of the earth, then those who are saved, who are truly saved, will persevere to the end. And another way of saying this is God will preserve his saints until the end, right? We like a good preservations, right, to, to preserve our preservatives, right, because we can keep jam because of the preservatives we put in there. We have jam for years. Some of you all prep, and you're like, everything in my basement has pre uh, uh, preserves in it, right? It, it keeps it where we can eat it for 10 years, and I'm telling you, if anything's in a can for 10 years, I'd, like, got to learn to hunt because I'm not eating that canned food, right? And some of you are like, yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. Look, I'll learn how to fish. Look, Adam and Eve, everybody did it before. We'll figure it out. But this is God preserving his people, okay? Now, now this gets kind of tricky because some of us will come from different backgrounds where we see that you can lose your salvation. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about salvation. Can you, the question at hand this morning is, can I lose my salvation? Can I lose this grace? The pastors of this church, according to the scriptures, would contend that no, you cannot lose your salvation. Now, those who would contend otherwise, we disagree with, but will appeal to the scriptures because there are some verses that are difficult by themselves. But if we believe that we are totally depraved and incapable of saving ourselves, right, the total depravity of man, then because of the U, L, and I, which we'll get to, we have to believe, if we believe this, we have to believe in perseverance of the saints. Because if we are not the ones saving ourselves, we're not the ones sustaining ourselves either. Now this gets into, well, what about Christians who backslide? Well, this morning I want to contend that saints, meaning Christians, slip. 
They don't stop. When a Christian who has been worshiping with us for years stops, then not just myself, but I would say the scriptures contend that they weren't actually a Christian. Okay? So saints slip. They don't stop. So before we go any further, let's just be in an attitude of prayer, asking God together to remind us of his grace that met us where we were and to remind us of the hope and the assurance that we have in our salvation because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the rain. We look forward to more sunshine and the heat that's coming here to Northeast Ohio this week. God, we're so thankful for all of your creation And God, as we continue in this series, I pray that we would just draw near to you through your word, being reminded that your word was given to us for our good and for your glory. God, that we would know you and draw near to you. We would live according to your word and not according to our flesh. So God, sanctify us. Show us of this goodness, this doctrine, that we who are in you and you in us are being preserved by your power through the act of faith. Thank you for granting us faith, and I pray that you would lead us in this time, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So saints slip. They don't stop. You may backslide, right? Like we talked about that last week. When, when you go from such a radical change, being a child of wrath by nature, to now being adopted into and brought into the fold of God, the family of God, then there's going to be a learning process And this learning process, we know from the scriptures, is going to take our entire life. And even more so, we're going to be learning students of God for all of eternity, right? Like, it's not just like, oh, we know it all, right? Right when we get to heaven, like a bunch of know-it-alls like walking around. Like, we're still going to be learning God. That's how infinite he is. That's how holy he is, okay? So in this life, yes, we will slip We will, at times, backslide. Some of us can think about maybe the the years past, and we don't want to talk about that in our small groups because people may judge us, but if we're being honest with ourselves, all of us have those moments of sin and slipping at some point in our life, and sometimes it's, it's worse than others. But saints slip, they don't stop. You will preserve, you will come back. So the three points for us this morning as we talk about this, we want to talk about the one that got away, We want to talk about the one in control, and we want to talk about the comfort we have in Christ, the comfort in Christ. First off, the one that got away. A lot of you all immediately thought of some high school sweetheart and like, oh, the one that got away, right? You just start singing. Yeah, that's tough. But what we're talking about here is the one that, that according to Scripture, those who we see departing from the faith. What does that mean? Because let me tell you something, I come from a Methodist background. Let me share a little bit about that. That means uh, the Methodists believe that you can lose your salvation. They believe that. That's how I was raised, that's what I believed. And I remember talking to my grandmother when I was a child and I was starting to process uh, some of the scriptures without, at this point, being saved. And I looked at my grandmother and I said, yeah, we've gotta repent of all of our sins every time we sin or else we don't go to heaven. She's like, yeah. And I said, well, I know something now and she's like what is that and I said if someone were to take their life they wouldn't be able to repent so then they they go to hell and I remember being um, about 10 or 11 years old and just processing this and starting to like really kind of be drawn to the scriptures and she said you're correct and 
And I remember that carrying on. And, and imagine, church, the weight that we have on our shoulders if we truly believe that every time we sin, that we are now separated from God. Which Paul says to the Romans, he says, what can separate us from the love of God? To those who believe, right? To, to true, genuine believers. What can separate us? And the answer is nothing, right? For true, genuine believers, there's nothing that can separate us. And I remember that being the first question in premarital counseling with Aubrey. Uh, Pastor Troy nicely, he looked at, looked at both of us and he said, what would be the one thing that the other person could do that would make you just call it quits? Immediately we start thinking, well, adultery, like that would be one, like that would be definitely something we couldn't get over. He says, well, what does Christ separate himself from you for? And he's talking to us as believers, right? Like it's important to understand that in the context of speaking to believers. And I was like, man, like, good point, good point. But the scriptures, they talk about this. So let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. I'll look here on the screen. You can follow with me on the screen. There's Bibles and the seats. Every other row, you can grab them out of those baskets if you would like. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, this charge, so this is important. He is charging this aspiring pastor, Timothy. He says, I entrust, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this. Some have made a shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hermanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Okay, Paul says that, that these two people, right, he is handed over to Satan, so there's some kind of indication that they were walking with them, they were, they were doing life with them, they were worshiping with them, they were probably tithing with them, they were serving with them, and Paul has now handed them over to Satan. Like that kind of language, these are not believers, but, but did they depart from the faith? Did it mean that they were genuinely saved? This is the question at hand. And church, let me tell you, if we read that scripture alone, it would be tricky, right? Amen? Can we all admit, like, if we read that, we're like, we're walking away like, yep, I need to not be those two people or the pastors of this church will hand me over to Satan, right? Like, that's like a heavy weight to carry if we read that alone. But I would contend here that this is not the case of believers losing grace, we talked about in uh, Sunday evening's group, we're talking about trying to serve our neighbors and love our neighbors, right? And if you drive into uh, our, our street there on East Union, you'll see several new hill signs. Um, and there was someone who uh, was talking to me and they said that they thought like our whole street went to our church. Um, I can't remember who that was because we had all those signs. And, and actually, uh, our neighbors are here, so they, they come to church right beside of us. But then the next neighbor, a couple down, and then a guy way down the street, they just wanted a sign because it said, love your neighborhood. And what we talked about in group is how when we are a light to the world, it doesn't mean that everybody will be saved, but as we engage with our community, as we engage with the culture, people may hate Jesus, but it starts to become infectious the way that we act. Now, your good works won't save you, so when your neighbor starts doing good things, don't think like, they're saved, right? No, people who are saved profess faith in Christ. But what I'm getting at is people will begin to be changed because of how you act. 
For instance, if you come over to the Meadows house, we'll get you hooked on coffee. Does that mean that you like coffee? Does it make you a coffee drinker? No, it's something that we do in our house. You hang around Christians long enough, I would hope that Christians begin to have an influence over you and your ways change and not the other way around, amen? Like that is so important. But as we see that, and people maybe even come into our church, and maybe they take membership, and maybe they're baptized, we need to recognize that that isn't always a sign that they have true, genuine faith in here for Christ. You see, we, we talk about being saved by grace through faith, but we look to works. Oh, like if they're, they're doing that, then they, they must be a Christian. Well, let's turn to 1 John. John really deals with this. So church, let me, let me also say that there are several other uh, passages, and I should have said this earlier too. Uh, there are several other passages that deal with this departing from the faith. We don't have enough time in the morning to go, over all of them. So if you have questions about those, go to newhilloh.com slash ask. The last Sunday of May, we're gonna be answering all the questions that were sent in ahead of time um, during that morning's service. All the pastors will be up here and we're gonna be answering your questions to give you a biblical response. So if you have questions about those, um, you can go there. But John does a great job really addressing what's going on here when people leave the church. Now, I don't just mean they leave New Hill and it's like, ah, we say that they're going to hell because they're not going to New Hill. We don't believe that. What I'm saying is they depart from the faith. They, they apostatize. They leave the faith. Can a Christian do that? Well, John writes this in 1 John 2, verse 18 and 19. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19, very important. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Church, this, this scripture, this passage is so important for us to understand this doctrine of perseverance of the saints because we have to deal with that. Church, we, we in our four and a half years of existence have seen people depart from the faith. You and, and your Christian walk have probably walked with and been discipled by people who have left the faith, which only proves that God uses even evil, wicked sinners, televangelists, to display his glory and his power. But when they leave, it must be understood that they were never really of us. Because Christians do not lose salvation, for we cannot save ourselves. And that's why we look to the one in control, point number two. We've got a sword drill here. If one of the kids uh, will bring me a Bible and turn it to 1 Peter 1. Turn it to 1 Peter 1, verses uh, 3 through 9 first, and then bring it to me. First one here, uh, you win. Okay, so now we're looking to the one who's in control. So when we see this, it's really important that we, we begin to grasp this concept, that that we understand that if we cannot save ourselves, 
And if we cannot sustain ourselves by ourselves, right? Like, if you were in control of your salvation, then you would have to sustain that salvation. But since God is faithful and saves his people, he also sustains them. Amen? Amen. And if we believe that we save ourselves, then we will be uh, in a shipwreck, as we read before. Thank you, Gwen. You can grab one of those poppets out of there. And then stay here real quick while I read this. All right, so 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. I'm actually going to need this Bible for a while, so if you want to go ahead. When I forgot, this is a lengthy passage. Gwen's like, it's going to be here a while. So here we go. <laughs> Thanks, Gwen. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter just starts to just go in here, right? I mean, we could, we could write 15 books and not even begin to scratch the surface on, on the depths of what uh, the Apostle Peter is talking about here. First off, he says here, according to his great mercy, keep in mind we are totally depraved and incapable of saving ourselves, amen? We are saved by grace through faith, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, which is great, because when you talk about our total depravity, our inability to come to Christ on our own, that we need him to intervene in our life, then we know that we don't have any hope. So when he causes us to be born again, praise to him. And he causes us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay? And this is an inheritance that is, it says, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept for you and having guarded so it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Look at verse five with me, would you? And if we could, if we could get that on the, the screen here too, Bill, that'd be great. So we're establishing, we're building on the block that we cannot lose our salvation. And namely, because we're not the one who's in control of our salvation. If we were left in control with our free will, we choose sin and destruction every time if we're honest with ourselves. Then it says here in verse five, who by God's power, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
So you look at the the power. Who is guarding your salvation? Who's in control of your salvation? The sovereign God, creator of all. And it's so good. By the way, Pastor Mark is out of the country, and I scheduled him for the call to worship. That's my bad. I went up to Pastor Gary. I said, he's not even in the country, my friend. So that's my fault. But Pastor Mark, I'm going to use him as an example. He would be a great bodyguard, right? Yeah, absolutely. Speed race, no. Bodyguard, yes. That would be good. You would want him because you see the power. You literally see the physical power of Brother Mark, right? We see that. But when it comes to our spiritual soul, look at this. Who else would we want guarding it? Not me. Not me. You wouldn't want me guarding your salvation. You wouldn't want to be in charge of your own salvation. It says who by God's power are being guarded through faith. So yes, The two connect, the sovereignty of God and the act of faith which has been gifted to us by God. So you have to be obedient. You can't be like, well, I'm sinning because God's not doing his job. That's not the case. It says that by God's power, you are being guarded through faith. This is so good. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then you go down to to verse nine, right? It says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So there's this, this ongoing thing in Scripture, right, that we are saved, being saved, and going to be saved. Now, this is a process. You can sit here and you can say, yes, I'm saved because I've uh, repented of my sins and surrendered my life to Christ. I believed in the gospel, amen? That is the way to salvation. The Scriptures attest to it, okay? But... It talks about we are saved, being saved, meaning sanctified. You are being conformed into the likeness of Christ, and you are going to be saved. And when you understand this, when you understand all of this that's going on, that that we cannot lose our salvation because God is in control of our salvation, then it gives you an assurance, point number three, a comfort in Christ, point number three, that we have this comfort, this great comfort, which is assuring to us that all of these things will follow through. Another sword drill, Philippians chapter one. One of the kids bring me Philippians chapter one. We have an assurance, and this is something, this is where we're, Hey, man, I have an assurance of my salvation. Church, that is good news. That is good news that through, through the trials and through the tribulation that, that it says that the tested genuineness of your faith may prove to be true. Notice what he said there, what Peter wrote. It says the tested genuineness of your faith. Thank you, brother. You can grab one of those. And this one won't be lengthy, so if you could stay up here for just a minute. Okay. Philippians 1, verse 6. This won't be on the screen. Paul writes this. He says, And I am sure of this. Not I'm a little sure, not like when my wife asked me, like, did you do that? Like, did you get that done? I'm like, yeah, like I'm a little bit sure that I did, but I'm gonna say, yeah. Paul says, I am sure, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Thanks, bud. Appreciate you. Paul says that he's sure that, that the one who, who saved, who began this work, that it's, it's God starting this work in you, will finish this work in you and through you for his glory. 
And this is good news, church, that we have an assurance of our salvation, that we know that we are secure. Jesus says that, that the Father gives him, so we see that the, the Father has elected his people, that Jesus has, has saved his people, and the Spirit is, is sanctifying his people. And this is what we're talking about. This is really the ministry of the Holy Spirit working through his people to conform them into the likeness of him and not the likeness of the world and sustaining us. The power of God in you and through you that is working to overcome the sin that you're drawn to is the work of the Holy Spirit. And praise be to God for the spirit that he's given us. Because if it was left to me, I would choose sin every time. And maybe some of us are feeling like, well, I'm not like you. I wouldn't do that. Well, okay, but let's really think about it. Let's really think about what we would do if we were left on our own to do whatever we pleased. Final sword drill. Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. This is the last one. Make it count. You see, you can have, let me say this. We're a Baptist church. We don't hide that. We're not ashamed of it. It is what it is. Thank you. She bring it to you? How, how can you find it? Yeah. All right. Here, let me read this real quick. Romans 8, Verses 29 and 30 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Think about that. Those he foreknew, he predestined. These are his people. But listen, it doesn't stop at that. There's a great hope. There's assurance in your salvation. There's comfort in Christ because it says in verse 30, and those he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Thank you so much. You can grab one of those out of there. So this process began before the foundation of the world with God electing his people, redeeming them to himself through the sacrifice of his son, and now the Holy Spirit is working that out. And one day, church, those who were called will also be glorified. We have a great assurance of our salvation in Christ Jesus because of what he did. And you can be assured, it doesn't say that those he called, if they make it, if they do this, if they do that, they then will be glorified. It says those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he will also glorify. Isn't that a great hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that he's the one who met you where you were, he saved us, and he will sustain us. Yes, it's through the act of faith. Yes, those who are truly Christians will be Christians. That's what we need to talk about this morning. We need to talk about two issues, two ends of the pendulum, right? You've got the one end, the Baptist one, which I was getting to. We're Baptists. We're proud of it. It's fine because we line up with the beliefs. Not everybody likes to be in a boat. We're fine saying that we're in that boat. Baptists for too long have trusted in this doctrine of eternal security and the mantra that says, once saved, always saved. Church, I would contend that we should not, as Greg Allison says, we should not put our hope in a simple profession because Greg Allison says this, this doctrine does not apply to everyone who professes faith in Christ. It applies to genuine believers whom God has elected and saved. So that means that real Christians are going to be faithful to the life that they've been given in Christ Jesus because what Baptists have done, you know, little Johnny said the prayer when he was six, but he never Never did anything else for Jesus after that. I'm like, what is he, like eight? Like, you're good. No, he's like 58. I'm like, ooh, little Johnny needs to hear the gospel. 
Little Johnny needs to hear the gospel that, that Jesus Christ came and died so that if you repent and believe, you'll be given a new life. You will be made a new creation. And then as a new creation, we go and we live and we breathe and we glorify the God that saved us. Amen? So we need to start to understand that. That And the one end of the pendulum, yes, once saved, always saved, if truly saved. But that will work itself out in our life. Peter says that, the, that these various trials that come your way, they prove and test the genuineness of your faith. Notice that word genuineness. Church, we, we can't keep following the world that says, I just believe in Jesus, right? Like, just, just profess in him, right? Like, if I would have gotten married to Aubrey and I said, hey, I love you, but I never showed love, that, do I really love her? I put on a ring and, and I, like, signed that, that, that state document that says that we're married, but am I really committed to this person? Am I actually acting as her husband or am I playing along because it's just what we're supposed to do? Even more so with the Christian faith. This is not a game to play around with. So on the one end of the pendulum, we can't rest in a simple profession, though we know that repenting and believing in the gospel is how one is saved, but we know that it works itself out. And then on the other end, maybe you're not convinced that, that uh, in the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, you think that you can lose salvation. Well, let me ask you, what assurance do you have? See, the scriptures say those he predestined, those whom he foreknew, he predestined, he, uh, he called, and those he called, he glorified. Like, where does that play itself out? When does eternal life begin, and how is it separated? How is it split in half? Hey, no, you got one-third eternal life, and then the other two-thirds, you just lost it. How does it work out when Jesus says that those whom the Father gives to me, no one will snatch them out of my hand? What does that mean? And I know the argument. Yeah, I can't be snatched out of the hand, but I can jump out of the hand. Church, I, I've had conversations with people leaving our church um, on the way out in the morning, and, and they'll say, yeah, like we won't be back because we don't believe in the eternal security of man, right? We don't believe that, that we are eternally secure. We need to, to do this and do that. Look, the Bible says in Christ alone we are saved, amen? We believe that. So this is what we're doing. We're fleshing that out. What does it mean in Christ alone? So you've got the two ends of the pendulum. But we're telling you that since we cannot save ourselves because we do not have the ability or the capability of coming to Christ on our own, so God saves us, he intervenes, he also sustains us. And church, that should give us great comfort this morning, that we know that we who have been saved will be sustained, not to do whatever we want, but to go and live according to his word and by the power of his spirit that's living inside of us. See, the problem, Christians are not changed when they are not saved. Ben, you can come back up. The problem here at, at hand is that Christians are not changed when they are not saved because they are not Christians. See, Christians are to change. And for too long, we've sat around not talking about this. Like, the reason, the reason we go verse by verse is I want to make sure that I don't miss anything that I'm supposed to be doing. I don't want to miss any of the context of what we as a church are supposed to be doing. Why? Because this is serious. Why? Because last week we talked about how sinful we are and how holy God is. That means a radical change. That means it's going to look different, right? 
when we hang out with our friends that aren't Christians, they're going to see and need to see a difference in the way that we live and act and breathe. And that doesn't mean that you can't have a drink with them. It just means that you're going to practice self-control. That doesn't mean that, that you can't make jokes with them. It just means that you're going to understand where lines are and where boundaries cannot be crossed because as, as Christians, we understand that Christ created, everything was created through him and for him. And there's not a thing in the world that he doesn't oversee and have dominion over, amen? So we turn to his word and say, how are we supposed to live? We pray to God for wisdom which the Bible says it will be given if asked for. Maybe some of you are here this morning, you're like, how do I know I'm called? Well, repent and believe. Believe in the gospel. It is as simple as that. It is as simple as believing in the gospel that we are sinners separated from Christ, incapable of saving ourselves, and in need of a savior. Repent and believe. Surrender your life to Christ. And you, too, have that assurance of salvation. Church, as we begin to work out this doctrine and flush it out in our day-to-day life, it means that we must live according to his word and purpose because we've been reborn, right? Like Jesus says, what, or Nicodemus says to Jesus, what must a man do to be saved? He says, be born again. When you're born again, it's a new life. You are a new creation. Live like it. We're gonna take communion uh, this morning, I'm going to ask uh, Luke and Michelle to take the, the back table there. We've got some prepackaged communion. The prepackaged is gluten-free, so you can grab those. I'm going to have uh, Pastor Gary and uh, Brother Josh uh, come up here this morning for us in front. And I want us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. When we think about Christ on the cross, we should think about our salvation. We should think about what Jesus did. We should think about that, that, that we were indeed, church, totally depraved. Incapable of coming to Christ on our own, but he met us where we were. He didn't just pay the price to say, figure it out. He is precisely aiming for his people and bringing them to himself and to him be the glory accordingly. So as we approach the table this morning, For the believer, think about that. That Christ laid his body and he shed his blood so that you would have eternal life. Not a little bit of life. And we encourage those of you, if you're not a believer, you're yet to surrender your life to Christ, you should refrain from partaking. If you don't believe in Jesus as your Lord, don't come up here. It's okay. But we would ask you to stay in your seat Think about the gospel, repent and believe, and then joyfully joyfully partake along with the body of Christ. We encourage those of you who are believers to examine your hearts in this time so that you can partake in a worthy manner. If your heart is harboring up unrepentant sin, we ask that you handle it now. If there's someone here you've sinned against, you take them to the side and say, hey, I've sinned against you, I repent, and then come up and take communion together. This table, the sacrifice of Christ, causes us to confront our sin, not delay it. We confront it now. We do not delay it for later. We're going to take a moment and just pray. When I'm done praying, you guys can come up as you're ready. Or if you're in the back, you can go back to Luke and Michelle as you're ready. But I just want us to think about that sacrifice of what Christ did for his people.
Father God, thank you for the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior. Thank you for giving up your son on the cross so that those who were far from you, who wanted nothing to do with you, could be drawn near to you. God, and as we draw near this morning, I pray that we would remember this great work that Christ did. I pray that we would remember and we would be encouraged that there's no work that we can add to, bring to the table that can add to our salvation. There's nothing we can do to add to it. There's nothing we can do to take from it. But if indeed we've been saved according to your mercy and according to your plan, then we ought to live according to your word. God, I pray for for the person here who is yet to surrender their life to you. They're yet to repent of their sins and believe in the gospel and trust in you and you alone as Lord and Savior. And God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself right now and give them that assurance that there's nothing that can separate them, there's nothing that can snatch them, not even themselves. God, you are a faithful God, and we are sure of it this morning, that, that you who began a good work in us You, O holy God, almighty, will see it through to the day of completion. God, we praise you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name.